You are listening to Word Up, a place where we share our stories because who we are matters. From the moment we are born to the time we continue on our spirit journey, we are involved in the creation of story of our time here. It is what we arrive with. It is all we leave behind. We are not the things we accumulate. We are not the things we deem important. We are story, all of us. What comes to matter then is the creation of the best possible story we can while we're here. You, me, us, together. When we can do that and we take the time to share those stories with each other, we get bigger inside. We see each other. We recognize our kinship. We change the world one story at a time. When I first read this passage by Richard Wagamies, I was inspired to create this podcast. I believe that words matter because they shape our understanding, our behaviors, and our actions. I hope that, like me, this podcast became an opportunity to learn more about each other, but perhaps more importantly, learn more about ourselves. From a holistic framework, this is called centering yourself, knowing where you've come from, who you are, and who you are becoming. But the more I reflect on his words, the more I am drawn to this idea of kinship, all my relations. Rather than seeing stories as ways to understand our differences, stories can connect us. They outline our shared responsibility to each other and to the rest of creation. This week, to honor the spirit of kinship, I've asked my family to join me as co-hosts. Partly because we're all big fans of David A. Robertson and his work, but also because I wanted to remind them that they are not separate from my work. In education, we can so easily silo ourselves into our departments or our panels or our learning teams. But if the pandemic has taught us anything, it has taught us how much we need each other. And that connection is the very foundation of education. When we honor that each of us has a story and we allow people to bring their whole selves to the table and to share their story, then I do believe that Richard Wagamies is right. We can change the world one story at a time. I'd like to thank all of you for being here and joining me in the conversation this morning. I'm really looking forward to seeing where this discussion takes us. Before I introduce our special guest, David A. Robertson, I would like to let this week's co-hosts introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about themselves. Hi, my name is Brennan Bachman. I'm a grade seven student at KLDCS and I'm really excited to be here today. And my name is Trevor Buckman. I teach in a, a high support classroom at KLDCS, and we're currently using uh, the Barren Grounds as our um, uh, language study book. Thank you for joining me today, and I'm excited to hear your questions and learn from and with you. I'm extremely excited to introduce our guest today. David A. Robertson is the 2021 recipient of the Writers' Union of Canada Freedom to Read Award. He is the author of numerous books for young readers, including When We Were Alone, which won the 2017 Governor General's Literary Award, the McNally Robinson Best Book for Young People Award, and was a finalist for the TD Canadian Children's Literature Award. His acclaimed YA series, The Reckoner, has won the McNally Robinson Best Book for the Young People Award, the Michael Van Ruy Award for the Genre Fiction, and the Indigenous Writer of the Year Award at the High Plains Book Awards. 
The Barren Grounds, the first book in the middle grade, the Masiwa Saga series, received a starred review from Kirkus and a Kirkus and Quill Inquire Best Middle Grade Book for 2020, was shortlisted for the Ontario Library Association Silver Birch Award, and is a finalist for the 2020 Governor General's Literary Award. His memoir, Blackwater, Family, Legacy, and Blood Memory, was a Globe and Mail Quill Inquire Book of the Year in 2020. And his second picture book, On the Trap Line, illustrated by Julie Flett, has received starred reviews from Kirkus Reviews and Publishers Weekly. He is a member of Norway House Cree Nation and currently lives in Winnipeg. So miigwech for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, so what we do on this podcast is we usually try to always let students go first. I know that as educators, we like to monopolize conversation and we don't give them enough space. So I am going to let Brennan start with a couple of her questions. So first, I'd like to ask, I'd read in an interview that your mom read to you a lot when you were a kid. What were some of your favorite stories she read to you? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, some of the stories that my mom read to me still... I still read today. Um, I, one of my favorite picture books of all time is Outside Over There by Maurice Sendak. Um, I think it's like a, if possible, like a, a lesser known story of his. Um, I think that he's really known for where, where the wild things are. Um, and Outside Over There, I think is, it, for my money, it's a better book. It, it's um, it's like this kind of whimsical, um, creepy, like poetic um, story with really unsettling but beautiful illustrations. Um, when I was a kid, it kind of freaked me out because of the melting goblin baby. But um, it was like, you know, it was like a really, ah, I just, you know, I still read it. To, I read it to my kids and it still has a big influence on me um, in my in my picture book writing. Um, so that was a big one. The other one was, uh, <laughs> my mom read me messed up stories actually, because I, there's another one called My Mama Says, which is, uh, it was, it, my, the, I think the longer title is My Mama Says There's No Such Thing As, and it's like zombies, ghosts, goblins, um, things, uh, fiends. Um, that, that picture book has also stuck with me. I own it still. And my kids are, they never want me to read it to them because it's so scary. Um, <laughs> it scared me for years, um, but it's also like a really great picture book. So, um, you know, th those, those books have really stuck with me. And um, if, like, I have a book coming out next year, uh, a picture book that's really influenced by Maurice Sendak. Uh, outside over there um, I wanted to write like something that was really a departure for me and it's like this kind of really kind of whimsical unsettling um, a little bit creepy um, uh, mystical kind of a journey story um, and then in novels um, one of my favorite novels of all time my mom also I think did, did a kind of like a read aloud thing um, with uh, Thomas Midnight Garden by Philippa Pierce, um, which is, I think, also like not as not a really well-known book, but it's uh, it's a it's like this amazing portal time travel story, with like a very cool surprise ending that would be like M Night Shyamalan would be like, holy crap, this is amazing. <laughs> but um, was, was yeah, there, so like, oh sorry, David, was there a BB, was there a BBC series of that, mid yeah. that Midnight Garden? Yeah, I, thought yeah so. I think there was, but they really changed it. I, I think the BBC series, I kind of watched it one time just to see how faithful it was. There was there's a lot of differences, um, but it's like, yeah, it's just such a brilliant, beautiful book. And I love this, like, cause what, what it centers around is relationships. And I love the fact that it centers around a relationship with Tom and this little girl named Hattie 
and he goes back and sees her at different ages of her life. And he's always the same age. So he's like this ghost to her. Um, just a, a brilliant book. Um, yeah. So, so books like being read to when I was a kid that, you know, it really helped me um, as just a reader, um, but also it helped me develop some really important like writing skills um, later on in my life. So yeah, she, she was a big avid, she was an avid reader and educator um, and it kind of instilled a lot of that in me as well. Another question I had staying kind of on the topic was what made you want to become a writer? Well, there's a few things. Um, one of them was just like this, this um, love of creating, you know, when I was uh, about eight years old, um, my teacher gave us this, this assignment to write poetry. And I wrote like 10 poems instead of one, this, this one class. I, I went into the closet, like literally into the closet in, uh, in my grade three classroom. And I wrote in the dark for like the whole class. And I came out with like 10 poems and my teacher made it into a book for me. And um, it's holding that book and knowing that I'd made this like book um, was something that like, I love the feeling of just like creating something. And so I went home to my mom that day and I told her that I wanted to be a writer. And um, so ever since that day, like that, that was, that's the only thing I've ever wanted to be is a writer. I didn't really give myself any other options. So it was just like my, my singular dream. Um, and then I think what helped me really get to where I wanted to go was not just um, thinking about like what influenced me as like about being a writer, just like from a technical standpoint of like creating, you know, something new. Um, it was, it was like the way I wanted to reach people. Um, and so like the, the focus of my work is on educating about Indigenous people. And when I decided that I was going to write about Indigenous people, because it's something that like I never had when I was a kid, it really um, brought the best out of me as a writer and, and helped me get to where I am today. Yeah, and that representation is so important for our youth um, to, to see themselves. Um, I'm wondering, I have a question more specific about Barren Ground. So you worked with Wilfred Buck, I believe. That's true. Yeah. Um, to learn more about the Sky, sto sky Stories. Uh, but then you used Chronicles of Narnia, which is such a children's classic and Christian allegory, uh, to tell that, the traditional story of, of the Fisher and the Big Dipper. Um, so I'm just wondering, why did you choose to do that? Why did you choose to kind of infuse that traditional story with, with um, such a children's classic? Yeah, I actually pitched it to Penguin as a, a, an Indigenous Narnia, which I think like they really liked, and they, they gave me automatically like a three book deal, which is very weird. Um, but you know what? A lot of people don't know is that even though it's often labeled as like an Indigenous Narnia, um, and certainly like in Narnia was a big influence, the Cree stories came first. Um, you know, like it was, and I think that's almost like a, um, and like just generally, I think it's almost like a colonial mindset where it's like, you know, they see the, the book and they're like, well, you know, this is a, this is like a, a Narnia inspired story. And they, they don't talk about a lot about how um, it's actually like heavily influenced, way more heavily influenced by cre traditional creation stories, um, which is, I mean, I think that I understand why, and that's kind of why I'm writing, but um and it was Narnia inspired, but you know, the Cree creation stories is, is, were so rich 
And it had so much to say. And that's what I loved about um, this one in particular, because it's based on a creation story called Ochek Ochakosak, which is um, they're fisher stars. So Ochek is a fisher in Cree, and Ochakosak is um, uh, stars. So Ochek Ochakosak is fisher stars. And uh, that the creation story is like how the Big Dipper or Ochego Chagosek got placed into the sky. Um, so in the Creek stories, it's it's not at a spoon. It's like an animal. Um, and that this curved tail of the spoon, the handle is actually a tail, a broken tail. And um, and so the, the story, I, what I love about it is that as, as well as you can tell it in so many different ways, there's, there's, there's like so many different iterations of the Fisher Star story. There's, what, there's one also I know about in Ojibwe, um, and, and so depending on the teller, um, there's different, um, details that change. Sometimes the characters change, although Ochek is always the main character. Um, and it's always about winter. It's always about an eternal winter, but, um, the methods through which that winter is overcome is changes as well. Um, but the, the message is always the same. The, the message is always about land protection and like land stewardship. Um, and I love that about that story. So I know a lot of different versions of it. Um, you know, Buck um, uh, writes about it um, briefly in an excellent paper he wrote that collects Creek constellation stories. Uh, Myrtle Scribe has another version as well. Um, so there's, there's a lot of different versions. Uh, but I, so I, I was really influenced by, it. I just like loved it so much. I wrote a little graphic novel story, a comic story about it in a, an indigenous comic collection called uh, Moonshot. Um, and it just stuck with me. And so I just decided one day I need to adapt it into a novel. And um, when I just, when I was thinking about how I was going to shape that novel, that's when Narnia came in. And I was like, you know, the really the only parallel to me uh, between the Fisher star story and Narnia is the eternal winter um, and like this kind of journey story. Uh, and so, you know, I, I reread, I did reread like all the Chronicles of Narnia um, because more than anything, I wanted to um, get a better sense of how C.S. Lewis approached world building and, um, and character development and his writing style. And uh, like, cause I love classic literature. Um, and so uh, that was more of an influence for me than the actual like plot of the, of the novel. Um, but yeah, I mean, so those two were, were influences. The Creek Constellation stories was, was a huge influence. Narnia was an influence too. Um, and I kind of like balled those up into one big lump of clay and then shaped it into what became the Barren Grounds. I think you referenced Narnia at least twice in the Barren Grounds. I did. It's, it's kind of cheeky. It's a little cheeky. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I, 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 I think is also important to note is that you're right. Like that, you know, obviously everyone knows, I think that the Iron Witch in the wardrobe is in, in Narnia in itself is like a, is a, is, is like a thinly veiled, um, very um, Christ, Christ, Christian, uh, Christian story. Um, the Iron Witch in the wardrobe is very, very thinly veiled Jesus resurrection story. And, um, and I just, I thought it was so interesting to tell it from like an indigenous perspective and not from a Christian perspective. I thought that was, you know, I thought it was interesting, but also really important um, because it's not something that, you know, we, we've, we've had a lot of traditionally um, and we've, we've pulled so much, so much of our stories that we grew up on were, we're so Eurocentric 
Um, I wanted kids to have this in like indigenous centric uh, fantasy story that they could maybe one day look back on as people look back on Narnia. That was that was like the the hope anyway. Well, I know that we loved it in this house, so <laughs> I I think you're you're doing something pretty awesome with that. Um, Trevor, I know you had some questions about Barren Grounds too, if you want. Apparently, <laughs> apparently a little disconnect there. Sorry. <laughs> Like she's she's already editing me, David. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Censorship. Yeah. Um, uh, the, you started with three books, so that's a very comfortable place to go into world building as a writer. And um, you, you set up some stories for Morgan that were I know I know will come further into the thing. But as um, C.S. Lewis did, he had uh, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe first, and then did the, his world building in Magician's Nephew, it, it was published later. So do you plan a, a creation story for Masiwa? Uh, I don't know how much I can say. Um, <laughs> yes, there, there will be um, a lot of mysteries about um, Misawa and the North Country and like Eli's origin, Morgan's origin, um, you know, uh, Musqua, uh, like the, a lot of that will be filled in over the course of the next three books. Um, what I, what I, I think a lot, a lot of people don't know is, and I don't think it's been publicly announced, but I think I, I can mention it is that there's actually, uh, they've added a, another book. So there's going to be four books. I saw now. that. Um, so <laughs> I saw yeah, that. I'm pretty excited about it. So it allows me to do more. And I, I planned another story anyway. So, um, so the first three books is like uh, really Morgan's arc. It's Morgan's journey um, as an antagonist. So it's uh, as a protagonist. Okay. It's like her um, journey to self, really. Um, and and then what what I what I like about it is there's enough world in the first three books that you can you can do so much more with the story. Um, there's so many more tales to tell uh, on about Misawa and the North Country and all the different villages that are uh, in on that world. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's something that like I, I do have like a Bible, which is funny, like not like a Christian Bible, which we you know we talked about the Christian themes. I've actually had like a like a um, like a, um, a, a world building Misawa world building Bible where I know the history of the world, um, and so I can draw from that wherever I want. And that's how like when I when the Baron Grounds did so well. Um, and it's still doing really well. Um, I was able to go to my publisher and say, look, I have an idea for a fourth book. Do you want to do a fourth book? And they said, yes. And so I pitched them. I just was able to pull out uh, Eli's. It's going to be about Eli. He'll be the main character. So I, I pulled out Eli's creation story. And um, and I said, I want to tell Eli's creation story. And um, and then they were like, cool. So then, so now book four will be like um, a, a, a Eli-centric um, story where now I think in, if there's a new trilogy, it'll be like an Eli arc. Um, Cause I do have a lot more to tell about him um, and his background. So yeah, I mean, it's, um, I, there's a lot of stories to tell. And I, what I like about what I've done, and I don't like, you know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but like I planned everything. And that's what I really like about series uh, and what i also hate about bad series is that um when they're not planned it all falls apart it doesn't hold up um because you can tell that you know like things either were flying by the seat of their pants or they were just making stuff up as they went along like the new star wars trilogy 
Um, <laughs> but like the, what I've done is like, I had the whole trilogy planned um, from the very start. So I, when I first wrote the, the, the first word or line of the, the Barren Grounds, I already knew the last line of the third book. And so I just knew, and I knew everything and how everything connected. So, you know, one of the things that there's a lot of little Easter eggs in the Barren Grounds that aren't answered that like I answer in the next two books. Um, and you, so there's no, there's nothing, when it's over, the reader won't think, what about, they won't think that. So that was important for me. Well, we're already on pre-order for number two, so we're excited. <laughs> you want to ask a, your question? So I really liked your book, The Fairing Grounds. It's pretty obvious I'm here <laughs> doing this podcast. In the book, Morgan struggles with being Indigenous. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges growing up as an Indigenous youth in Canada today? Oh, you know... Um... It's not it's not a easy place to grow up in as an indigenous kid, you know. Um, it wasn't when I was a kid. Um, it's it's just, you know, I think just being a person of color um, in in Canada is difficult. Um, you're just faced with um, traumas or um, difficulties, hardships um, that you, other people just aren't faced with. It's just, you know, it's this whole thing of white, white privilege. Like, you know, if you're, if you're a white person, a white kid, you just, you just don't face the difficulties that an indigenous kid or a black kid or a Muslim kid or an Asian kid faces. You just don't. Um, and that's not to say like, that's not to, to say anything bad about non-indigenous kids. Like it's just a fact of life. And so, um, you know, like and we have to contend with dangers um, that, you know, you, you don't have to worry about, you know, like, um, you know, like just for example, the foster care system, um, Morgan and Eli are products of the foster care system, um, not products of the foster care system. They are, they're taken from their families into the foster care system. And then, you know, Morgan comes out forget not even knowing who she is anymore. Um, and so that's reflective of this the colonial systems in Canada that indigenous kids face. Um, and, you know, as an indigenous girl, she's, she's, she's far more, likely to to encounter you know violence than um non-indigenous girls like it's just you know so it's there's a lot of difficulty um but man there's just just such a lot of beauty too in in indigenous life in indigenous cultures um in our communities in our traditions and ceremonies and um so i think that one of the things i i think is important to note is that we're not just we're not just victims like we're you know I think that the victim narrative is tired and I and I um, so that's why I've written books like the Barren Grounds or on the trap line or because I want to like shift this kind of view of you know just we're just trauma based like our lives are trauma based there is a lot of trauma in our stories but there's a lot of beauty too and they're not mutually exclusive I mean they're not like um, depend codependent, you know, like you can have a lot of beauty in, in, in your culture and your life and your experiences um, without the trauma, or you can have the trauma and the, the and the beauty. Um, some of the, some of that beauty comes in reclamation, you know? Um, so like there's so much nuance and depth and complexity to our lives. Um, and I think that, you know, that's what I wanted to kind of reflect in Morgan and Eli's lives in the bearing grounds. Um, yeah, so so I think that I don't know if that answers your question or not, but like I think that uh, I, this book will help kids understand um, 
I think um, how other children from the indigenous communities across Canada um, experience and see the world um, and the impact that the, the, their life experiences have had on them, on their families and on, on their communities. Um, and that's kind of, those kind of those like messages woven into the barren grounds, which is, you know, um, really just like a, it's a, it's a fantasy story. That's fun. But I think if you really kind of look a little bit below the surface, there's, there's a lot to unpack. Um, and I, I kind of liked the challenge of weaving that in. Yeah. Well, you, you always do such a good job with your stories of, of creating characters with such agency. Um, so I, I have enjoyed for, for, several years reading your stories and that actually makes me uh, I'm curious to know more about your first graphic novel which was uh, about Helen Betty Osborne and you were talking just now about trauma and I'm wondering because you choose uh, to sometimes tell these stories and and even again with uh, this place and 150 years retold you choose to tell stories that are based in trauma and based in some of our uh, history and that colonial impact that the history has had do you ever receive um, backlash or resistance about placing these stories in a graphic novel format? Does does anybody ever see that as, you know, maybe trivializing the trauma? No, uh, I think that, like, never actually. Um, you know, I think that people have really embraced graphic novels as like legitimate, like powerful form of storytelling. Um, it's this whole thing of like being able to show um, things without telling them, you know, um, show history. Uh, there's power in images. Um, and we're visual learners. You know, we, you know, no matter who you are, like what, what cultural background you have, um, at, the, at the beginning of it all, we spoke in pictures, you know, um, before we had words. And that's what comics are, you know, we, you know, really like the, our original form of tell, tell, storytelling were comics, you know, if you really, really boil, boil it down. Um, and so what we're doing is it's, we're almost like reclaiming an ancient form of storytelling. Um, we're just doing it in like kind of a new, a new kind of way of documenting those stories uh, on, on paper. Um, but it's still images in sequence, you know? Um, and so I've never, I've, I don't think I've once had backlash uh, in telling these stories. Uh, like maybe in Alberta, actually, <laughs> the more they think about it. Um, Alberta, was, Alberta censored like four or five of my books. Um, but, you know, I think that that was more of a product of like, um, it, like leadership or administration in that province, um, you know, like they grew up without the sort of stories that we have today. And so we're making decisions unilaterally um, based on what they believed was like best for the kids, which is, you know, um, I don't think it ever leads to something good when, when we were, we're making decisions for children that um, without, you know, without that aren't really knowledge or evidence-based, you know? Um, so like they were banning, I would say banning, like I say banning, they, they say they weren't, but like, you know, they one a teacher in, in Red Deer um, had a, had a principal literally come into their class and tell them to stop teaching my book. To me, that's banning a book. Um, and so, you know, it's like because because it, it visually inferred abuse oh. and uh, inferred abuse. And so, uh, I thought, well, I mean, 
what do you want what were what, what different if I wrote about it like you know yeah I don't know I mean yeah you know so I so I, I had a conversation with um, Alberta Ed and Edmonton Public Schools and Dave Eggers um, and you know at, at the time he was a minister of education and he gave me these kind of non you know, very political non-answers um, you know but I, I I was really upset about it because it, it almost like also um, it, um, I think, disrespected teachers because what they were saying as well is it required pre and post conversations. And I said, well, teachers do that. Like, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you mean? Like, are you telling, are you telling me that you know, you don't want teachers to, to do their job, you know? And so um, that was really the only instance where I encountered uh, resistance to storytelling in the graphic form for really heavy story, stories, stories. Um, you know, other than that, like it's been, you know, the last 10 years has been incredible. Like, I think that I was really one of the first Indigenous writers to really embrace graphic novels and tell so many stories in that form. You see so many Indigenous writers writing graphic novels now. And um, and so that's, to me, that's like really exciting to see that happening. Mm-hmm. And I think it's allowed me to kind of step back and tell different stories um but yeah it was it's you know like my books like sugar falls for example is i don't even know how many books it's sold but like it's used in classrooms all over the world and you know all over north america Mm -hmm. um and so that means kids are learning about residential schools in a really powerful way Mm -hmm. um and that's like what i wanted you know like i don't care if i make a million dollars from these books i want a million kids to read them and Mm -hmm. Um, it, that means a million kids are learning something in a way that they wouldn't have learned before. And it gives teachers a lot of support too. So I think that, you know, um, aside from that one, um, and you mentioned like the freedom to read award, that's what I got it for is that kind of little tussle with uh, Alberta education. But, um, other than that, like I, you know, it's been really positive. You know, I think that what's underrated is that Canadians are awesome. Like Canadians in general, uh, are, are really awesome. You know, it's a very vocal minority that are trolls or that are ignorant or that are, you know, really dangerously racist. Um, I think the majority of Canadians are wicked. You know, like, I really believe that, like, wicked in a good way. You know, like, if you look at, like, for example, what's happened the last couple of weeks in Kamloops and and Brandon and in Saskatchewan, um, and there'll be way more, Mm -hmm. um, the, I was just looking today the, in, in Canadian kids books, nine of the 10 best-selling Canadian kids books are indigenous uh, by indigenous writers. That means that Canadians, um, they see what's happening. They want to learn more. And so they're buying our books to learn. And uh, that's really encouraging mm-hmm. um, to see stuff like that happening. A lot of them are graphic novels. So, um, you know, that's, it's, it's, I think there's, um, anyway, so like a long story short, like graphnos are a super powerful form of storytelling that, you know, I really embraced in my earlier writing career and I still write a few of them now, but, um, I've, I've, aside from Alberta, like I've never really encountered resistance and if anything, I've encountered a lot of encouragement, um, from teachers and librarians across Canada. So this year you had your first, uh, comic festival as well, right? Indigenous comics festival. Um, or, or conference, uh, which is exciting just to know, as you were saying, to know that there are so many Indigenous superheroes that are being created for for kids to see themselves. And I love that. Sorry, Trevor, I'll stop. You can go. <laughs> I was uh, 
I, I'm a longtime uh, podcast listener, and this is my first time inputting on this side. So I was going to attempt to segue and uh, and say um, I listened to your podcast called Kiweo, and you talk about your relationship with your uh, your family and your reconnection to land and culture on the trap line. Um, I thought it was a really interesting way to launch Blackwater. And uh, I wonder, was this a way to honor the importance of oral history before the uh, sharing your written memoir? Yeah, in a way it was. Um, you know, I think that like oral storytelling is something that um, will always be important in Indigenous cultures across Canada. Um, and I, I did want to emulate the importance of the, that oral tradition in, you know, telling almost like a supplementary version of Blackwater through QAO, which is the CBC podcast. Um, so that was a big, that was a big part of it, you know, and I had a, a really incredible, even though it was a very difficult experience because my, my dad died in the middle of making it. Um, it was cathartic in that way too, though, uh, being able to talk about him um, and our family. Uh, it was a way for me to heal the in the last couple of episodes. Um, because I was telling stories in the way that we used to, in the way that my dad taught me. Um, and, and I think the other part of it was that there was just so much more story that I couldn't tell in Blackwater. Um, and I was able to, cause I, cause Blackwater, my memoir, you, you have to treat it like a, to me, I treated it like a, a, like a fiction book, like a story, like just like a novel. Um, and so you had to figure out what your narrative thread is. You have to figure out your, 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 you know, your hero's journey, um, I don't want to like I'm you know uh, so the hero's journey is something that it can exist in nonfiction as well. So it's the journey of the the protagonist and then Blackwater. I guess that I would be the protagonist with my dad, and um, but so because of the narrative thread, there's just things that just don't fit um, because you just you can't distract from the momentum of the story. Um, you don't have a lot of time for side um, stories. Um, you don't have a lot of time to delve into some things that you really want to get into um, because it just doesn't, it doesn't kind of fit into the, the main thread. Um, even though I was able to do a lot of, I think, important political commentary in the Blackwater. Um, so there, so originally Cuella was, was supposed to be, I'm going to take a deeper dive. That's so funny though. I said that because every single podcast commercial is like, we're going to take a deep dive into this or a deep dive into that. So I actually just said, I hate that. So I just said that what I hate. Anyway. So um, I was able to take like a deep dive. It's like a lot of like family stories that, and mysteries that I wasn't able to get into in detail in Blackwater, which was, which I really liked. Um, but then as I went along, Kiwayo kind of changed um, as, you know, especially after I lost my dad, um, after episode three, it really refocuses to uh, about my father and I. And it's, I think if you if you really follow the podcast and listen to the all five, the the the, uh, the the fourth episode and in particular the fifth episode becomes like a legacy story, not just not like a you know deep dives. It's like it's like it's talking about my dad, you know, and and his the legacy of his life and our relationship. Um, and what it means to me. And um, so it kind of like it was in that way, it, it was hard to find like a way to make it this kind of smooth transition into a, a refocus, refocusing of the podcast, but I think it worked. Um, but yeah, so definitely like that's why, that's why I did it with pod, with, uh, with the podcast. It, it was because of those two reasons. Well, it's interesting because I haven't read Blackwater yet, but when I do, I will have your father's voice 
already. It's kind of like uh, reading the reading the book after you've seen the movie. Except in this case, I think it's going to be a benefit and not detract from the anything that's written in the book. Yeah, there's like a trilogy. I, there's like I call it my dad trilogy, and um, Blackwater and Kiwayo and On the Trap Line are like my my dad trilogy. So that the, those books, I probably don't won't get, write about my dad again because I just it's hard. But um, at least not in a novel or short or story form. Um, but that trilogy is my, 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 my dad trilogy. It's a way to honor my dad. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so trap line is, you know, very much about my dad and I, um, uh, even though I'm a kid in it. Um, yeah. So that, that those, they, they all go together. Like they, you know, they, they all complement each other. Um, and they're all connected. Well, um, you quote your dad as saying, think about, not only where we are and where we have been, but consider the type of world that we want to be living in in the future. And I, I think that's such a beautiful quote. So I'm wondering, what is it that you want for the future? Well, I mean, I, I think that's almost like the last quote of the of QAO too. I think it's, you know, my dad, he talks about the youth. My dad, my dad you know, he, in, that, in the context of that quote, he was talking about the youth, um, you know, thinking about what kind of, you know, understanding where we've been as a country is is vitally important. So we need to know what we need to know and accept the truth of our past, um, and that's something we're still reckoning with. You know, more today more than ever. You know, we're reckoning with the fact that this country is not what we thought it was, um, except for for a lot of Indigenous people who knew what this country was. You know, because we we experienced and and a lot of you know I think BIPOC people. Like we know what this country is and what it was, um, so I think reckoning with what this country was, um, and then and then accepting what it is today, like understanding how all of that brought us to where we are today, all of us as Canadians, because it's not just Indigenous history, it's it's all of our history, it's it's our past as Canadians. It makes us, it makes Canada what it is today, for better or worse. Um, and what I want for this country is for us to to really learn to really learn about all of these things in any way we can. So whether it's dystopian fiction, whether it's like fantasy, whether it's non nonfiction is, you know, creative nonfiction um, biography, like whatever it is, like learn as much as you can about the history of this country. Um, and then you'll be better positioned to figure out how we're going to get to where, where we want this country to be. And we'll have a clearer vision of what, this country should be um, if we if we really don't like what it what it has been um, and if focusing on the youth is the best way to get there you know and that's why I write for kids is that you know I think our our job as adults is to ensure that kids have the knowledge that they need to be leaders um, to make um, better decisions that have been made and are being made in this country. Um, and to lead us into a far better tomorrow um, because they'll be going there from a place of truth. And, um, and that's, what, that's what drives my work. And, um, and that's what I hope comes of the work that I do and, and, and um, what this country, I think, can be. I think this country can be a great country. I don't think it is right now. Yeah, thank you for that. Honestly, I think that was... The perfect answer and I think it's actually what people need to hear right now. 
Um, I know that Brennan has one question left and I'll let Trevor ask a question as well. So. so you've written a lot of books and they all deal with some pretty difficult topics and it must be hard. And so really what I'm asking is what are some things you do to help take care of your well-being? You know, that's a really great question. Um, I'm not good at that, you know, honestly. Um, you know, I, I, probably, I probably don't take care of myself as, as well as I should, considering, you know, all the work that I do in trying to raise awareness and advocate. And, um, you know, you, you go to some pretty difficult places, you know, especially this past couple of weeks, I've noticed, you know, I think on Monday, I noticed that I was just exhausted because, you know, you're doing media, you're, you're doing, you know, you're, you're interacting on, so, on Twitter and Instagram, which is a job too. And you're, you know, you're writing articles and you're, you know, and you realize that, man, like I've given a lot of myself and, and I haven't put anything back in. Um, and so I was, I was really emotionally exhausted and I can't afford to be because I think that, you know, for whatever reason, like, I think that, you know, I have a platform that I need to use to do good things. And, um, and so I've been trying to find ways that I can take better care of myself. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it might just be like cuddling with my kids. Um, you know, it might be, I, I water my lawn a lot, which it sounds a little silly, but like, you know, I just, just put in sod in my backyard if like a month ago. And like, I just like, sometimes I just go back there and I just water it for an hour. And I just like sit, I just like put my feet on the earth and, um, and that, you know, that's something that is, um, you know, just, just having my feet grounded on mother earth is, is, a, is a kind of calming, a cathartic like experience. Um, and then I think just decompressing, um, in whatever way I can, you know, and, and talking with people who, you know, understand and that, I, that I can share that kind of burden with, um, without putting them in any sort of danger, you know, I think is something that, I have a lot of, you know, good friends in the community that I can, you know, that are doing the same kind of work and uh, we can really, you know, support each other. Um, so I, I put a lot out and I probably don't put enough back in and sometimes it catches up to me and um, it's something I'm still working on because I'm really not good at, um, you know, the self-care thing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I hope you do take time to put back in because you definitely are sharing a lot with with all of us. And I know how much I appreciate that you're taking the time to speak with us. And I know that you take time to speak with people all across the country. So uh, Chi Miigwech for, for being so honest and vulnerable with us. Um, Trevor, did you have, I, I have my wrap up, but do you have one more question? Yeah, I was just going to ask, I was going to ask you to drag up some more <laughs> emotional uh, fuel for us. So okay. You don't mind. I, uh, Let's go. I, in and leading into Blackwater, uh, you talked about blood memory and I have a feeling that's where we're going with Morgan as well. Um, and I just wanted to give, you could give us an explanation of what you mean by that. Yeah. Blood memory is just, um, you know, the, the lives and experiences of our ancestors, um, you know, being woven into the fabric of who we are, you know? So, you know, the best example I could ever give is when I went to Blackwater, which is my dad's trap line. 
um, with him. Uh, I had never been there before, but like as soon as I stepped onto the land um, with him, um, I just felt like I'd come home and no business feeling that way because I'd never been there before. But like, I, I, I knew that place. Like I, you know, and so I, it's a hard to articulate like the, that feeling, but like, it was this feeling that I was being welcomed back, you know, and, uh, and that's blood memory, you know, that's like, and I think we all have that, you know, I think that like the, the, the experiences and lives um, of our, you know, generations before us, um, they live, they live within us. And, um, and it, it, it's woven into who we are. And, um, and we really need to figure out ways that we can embrace and learn from that. Um, and I think it also helps to inform us, inform um, our identities to help us understand ourselves better. Um, so that's kind of like what blood memory uh, means to me. And so Blackwater just to me now is like, um, it's like another home. Um, I can go there and just feel at peace. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so as we're wrapping up, we do a little thing called the Fast Five at the end of a podcast. So I ask you five questions and you just give us the answers that come to mind. <laughs> Speed round, lightning round, if you will. Um, okay. So we are going to start with, I heard that you're a bit of an audiophile music lover. What are you listening to right now? I look at my phone. Yes. The hold steady. The hold steady. The hold steady. The hold steady. Um, so you told us that you uh, started writing in a closet when you were eight years old, and I heard that you still like to write in the dark. Do you have any other quirks that help you when you're writing? You really did some research. <laughs> um, I, um, gosh, um, I, I have to listen to music when I write. I cannot write without music. So um, that's probably, I need, I need dark and I need, I need mood music, like very, very carefully chosen uh, playlists when I'm, when I'm writing or else I can't create. No. Um, Wabagishik Rice shares playlists for some of his writing. This is a total sidebar now, but would you ever do that? Would you ever say like, this is the Barren Grounds playlist? Would you ever share a playlist? I, mean, I don't know. Maybe. Um, I haven't thought about that actually, but I do have playlists for each book. Like I could tell you what I was listening to when I was writing Blackwater, for example, um, like a lot of Bon Iver, a lot of the national, a lot of stuff mm-hmm. in Stevens. Um, but yeah, I, uh, you're right. I'm an audiophile. So like, I think that music is a huge part of my writing and uh, I listen to it. Um, I, I need it as much as I need the dark when I write. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, land and stewardship are very important to you. And I have a feeling I know the answer to this now, but where do you feel most at peace? Uh, on the land. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, other than that, other than that, um, in, in like in bed, like cuddling with my kids. Yeah. Those are the two places I feel most at peace. Uh, language is obviously also very important to you. Can you teach us a word in Cree? Okay, I can say uh, thank you. It, it's just Echozani. So, um, yeah, Echozani means thank you in Cree. Awesome. And last question in the lightning round What are your plans for June 21st? So What's National, June 21st? National Indigenous Peoples Day. Oh, sorry. You can cut that part out. I, I will totally cut it out. Don't worry. My brain is like. <laughs> 
God. It is gone. What, it is, what is that? <laughs> um, you can actually keep it in. I don't care. My brain's like just uh, scrambled eggs right now. Um, don't be afraid, David. It's Aaron's birthday. That's really what she's yeah, getting. Yeah, it's my at. birthday. <laughs> I thought you meant Canada Day, and I was like, I know it's July 1st, but I was like, I'm not doing Canada Day this year. So, um, no, uh, I I actually have a, a couple of events that I'm that I'm um, speaking for, at, so uh, virtually. So that's what I, that's what I'm doing. Other than that, like to me, like you know, Indigenous Day is like every day. So you know, I try. I actually try to you know make that a practice in my life. So. Um, but yeah, I have I have a couple of events that I'm already booked for for Canada uh, Indigenous Day, so that's what I'll, that's what I'm doing. I don't know what it is. I have to look at my calendar, but I, I'm I'm, bu- I'm busy that day anyway. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you for your honesty and your generosity and sharing with us. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. All the best to you, and uh, I I look forward to whatever is next. We will definitely be following. So. Thank you. And I want to say a special thank you to your, your fine Brennan, the kid back there. Thank you so much. I just, I just, I get so much joy from kids. So um, it was really special to have um, your, your, your special podcast partner there today. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I hope you get some time to enjoy your kids and family today as well. Thank you. As I'm sure you figured out, we recorded that episode toward the end of June, and I figured it was a great place to end and now start an academic year. I look forward to continuing on this journey with you. Please don't hesitate to reach out if you have a podcast idea or if you'd be interested in joining me as a co-host. Remember to subscribe and like us on Apple and Google Play. Until next time, fist down and word up. Let truth be key.